Now, I know what, uh, I know what everybody's thinking right now. I can, I can go ahead and answer the question for you. What you're thinking is, is, is that sweatshirt he wearing something he bought when he was in ninth grade? The answer is yeah. Yeah, it is. Thanks for noticing. So uh, this was my favorite sweatshirt when I was in high school, and it's the only piece of clothing I have. And uh, because of the nature of the message today, and it's something I was going to tell you guys about, I thought this might be my only chance to wear this, and it somewhat makes sense, and, and people make fun of me. Air Apostle, I don't even know if they're still in business, but back in the day, all right, if you're around the age of 30 years old, back in the day, Air Apostle, that was the story. Sun, anybody remember Sun? right? Yeah, everybody, everybody raise their hand. Yeah. All right, now, there's a couple stores that were really cool back then that you guys don't think is cool now, but that's, you know, that's whatever. So I wore this sweatshirt in, uh, in ninth grade, first day of basketball practice, JV basketball practice. I was... I was pumped. I was excited. Uh, the classic term, ball is life. That was my life for a long time. I just thought basketball, that's what it was. I thought I was going to go pro. Uh, I really did. And, you know, and part of me wants to tell you because I got called into the ministry is the only reason I turned down the contract to the Bulls. But, you know, that would be a bold-faced lie. So, um, you know, I, I quit growing around seventh grade, and um, so I had to overcompensate. So I have a really good fadeaway uh, because if I didn't jump seven feet back, a normal-sized man would block me very easily. So anyway, <laughs> ninth grade basketball. Walk in, and uh, the coach comes up. He, he sends this, this letter, and he says, listen, nobody dress out. It's first day of practice. Just come. I want to talk to you guys. And so we show up, uh, ninth grade, we show up, we sit on the bleachers, we're all there, we're just, you know, in the clothes we were wearing, and, and he walks in, he had a little podium, he sets it down, and he just starts basically just laying down an incredible standard of excellence, of what a somebody that played on one of his teams was going to be like. And this isn't really like a popular thing to do these days because you may, you may hurt someone's feeling. You know, if, if you, you challenge someone, they may be offended at that challenge. And so we, we, we really don't lay down like the gauntlet these days. We, we don't just come up and say, hey, this is what it is to be successful. This is what it is to be great. This is what it is. And he basically just said, listen, I, I, I have a lot of respect for the school. I have a lot of respect for this team. And, and this is what it's going to be to be an athlete and, and play for me and wear the jersey and to represent me and the school and all the the students and the teachers and just the, the life of our high school. And he, he said, this is, you don't have to be the smartest kid on the planet. He said, but you will overcompensate with work ethic. You will make good grades. He said, you will have integrity. You will have character. And he just went down the line. He said, we may not be the fastest. He said, but we're going to work so hard that we're, we've got just as much energy at the end of the game as we do at the beginning of the game. And he just, he talked about all these intangibles and, and excellence. And he just laid down the standard, it had nothing to do with basketball. And, and he basically just comes at this point, he says, this is an opportunity. He said, this is an honor to be able to play on this team and to represent and wear the jersey. And he said, and you will earn that right. And I just remember thinking that. And he said, this is what it is to be worthy of wearing this jersey and playing that. He just laid it out. And I've never heard before or after, I've never heard anyone else just kind of throw out that standard. It's just not something that we do. But it was incredibly inspiring. And this is definitely not something that we do in the church a lot of times, because for whatever reason, we, we don't, we don't want to like challenge people because everybody in, in, in so many churches, we're just like, you know, if we, if we make it too hard or, or we, we make the standard too high or, or we throw out a challenge or we, you know, do something they, they may, it may be too difficult for them and they may go to a different church and they may run, but I love you enough and I care about you enough and I care about the glory of Christ enough to lay out a standard for you to lay out a level of excellence for you, to lay out the truth for you. And if you run at the, 
at the image of truth, if you run at the excellence and the worthiness of Jesus Christ, I can go ahead and tell you, you're not going to last around here much anyway. All right, because this is, there is a, a, a belief that I have that Jesus Christ is the creator of the world, that he is the savior of the universe, he's the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and there is no other being or idea in this life worth more than living for him. All right, and so I, I, there was this, there's this, this thing that Paul says in Colossians, and it's a powerful thing, and he says this different ways throughout Scripture, but this was a unique situation because Paul had not actually been to Colossae, to the city of Colossae, and he goes, there's the, he heard through the grapevine that there were Colossians, there were these, these Colossian people, they were meeting, they had heard the gospel, and they put their faith in Jesus, and they began to trust, and, and we don't know if it was five of them, or if it was 50, 500, or 5,000, but they were, they were starting to meet together in the name of Jesus, and, and do uh, a life, and, and grow in Christ, and, and so he wrote this letter to them. And he makes this statement that is incredibly powerful, and he lays out what it is to live a life worthy of Jesus Christ. He lays out what excellence is in the kingdom of heaven. He lays out what our, our, our lives should look like. Now, this isn't like the distinct purpose that we were all born for that we talk so much about here that we believe. I do believe with all my heart, every single person uh, on this planet was born for a distinct purpose. But this, this isn't that. This, is that. this is what it is to be a Christian. This is what it is to follow Jesus. This is what God's desire is for your life, for a believer. And he just lays it out. And I just want us to read this really fast. Colossians 1, start with verse 9. He goes, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Here it is. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. So he said, this is what it is. He goes, I want you to understand there is an expectation. There is a, there is a standard. There is a, a desire from the God who created you that your life will be a life lived that is worthy of Jesus Christ. That the, the life that you live, the day-to-day -day life that you live, not, not the, the hour and a half that you're at church on Sunday morning and not, not those few times throughout the week, but your life, who you are and what you do, that in every single way you will please God, that you will bring pleasure to God, that so you will put a smile on his face, that you will make him proud, that you will walk and live for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ, and ultimately that you will live a life worthy of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he just lays that out there and he says, there is an expectation it's okay that you're not okay, but it's not okay that you stay that way. It's okay if you've never read the Bible before. It's okay if you haven't grown in the knowledge of God. It's okay if you're weak and not strong. It's okay if you haven't grown in power. It's okay, but it's not okay that you stay that way. It's not okay that we go to church week after week after week after week after week and no growth. It's not okay that we continue to separate our, our work lives from our church lives. It's not okay that we talk one way, act one way, smile one way when we're in the church, but then we handle our marriage in a totally unchristlike way. That's not okay. It's okay if, 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 you're, if you're going to counseling and you're seeking a divorce lawyer. It's okay to be in that place, but it's not okay to stay that way. 
It's okay that if, you, if you've come to know Christ and you're in this place and, and you're living a lot of foolish things in your life and you're not handling things the right way and you have a lot of stress and you have a lot of anxiety and you're even suffering from depression and there's things going on in your life, that's okay if you find yourself there, but it's not okay to stay that way. It's not okay. It's not okay to put your faith in Jesus Christ, go to church for 20 years and stay that same way. That's not okay. That's not living a life that is worthy of Jesus Christ. This was a desire. He said, I want you to bear fruit in your good works. I don't want you just to, I don't want you just to give money. I, I want the money that you give to bear fruit for the kingdom of heaven. I don't want you just to serve. I don't want you just to do mission work. I don't want you just to have a job. I don't want you just to have a career. I want your job to bear fruit for the kingdom of heaven. I want that career and however successful you are, I want on every level as you climb the ladder to bear fruit and do it for the glory of God. I don't want you just to have a relationship. I don't want you just to have a marriage. I want your marriage to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. I want your relationship with your kids to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. I want everything in your life to be pleasing and to be worthy. I don't want you just to be busy. I want you to be effective. I want you to be efficient. It's okay if you come in and you don't have any knowledge of Jesus and, and you don't have any wisdom and, and you don't know the ways of God. It's okay, but it's not okay to stay that way because I want you to grow in knowledge. I want you to become strong in Christ. I want you to become a strong and powerful man and woman of God. I want you to walk in power. I want you to learn to walk in a way that, that you won't quit, that you will endure, that you will have patience. I want you to learn that when you fall, you get back up, that, that you are unstoppable, that we're more than conquerors in Christ, that, that any victory that needed to be won was won 2,000 years ago. And it's not that we need to, to learn how to have victory. We need to learn to walk in the victory that Jesus Christ has already given us. Right? He says, it's, it's, it's okay if you're not okay, but it's not okay that you stay that way. He goes, I want you to be efficient. I want you to be effective. I want you to be strong. I want you to be powerful. I want you to have courage. I want you to choose faith over fear. I want you to walk in power in this life. I want you to, I want you to grow into a powerful, strong, wise man and woman of God. And I want you to live a life worthy of the King of Kings who died for your sins. I want you to please him in every way. He goes, this is the desire. This is the expectation. This is what it is to be a believer, to get to a place where you are living your life every single day and every single way in a way that is worthy of the Christ, of the Lamb, of the Lion that died for us. He goes, that's what it is. But notice, that's not what he prayed for. He didn't pray for you to become effective. He didn't pray for you to become efficient. He didn't pray for you to grow. He didn't pray for you to get strong. He didn't pray for you to grow in power. He didn't pray for you to learn how to endure. He didn't pray for, that's not what he prayed for. He said, what I'm praying for will lead to that. He says, I'm praying this so that this will be true in your life. But that's not actually what he prayed for. What he actually prayed for, he said, ever since I heard that you have given your life to Christ, since you started meeting together uh, in the name of Jesus, since you put your trust in the King of Kings every day since then, I have been praying that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you will be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now that word will, that, is a prefer, that means preferred will. It's literally what that means. His preferred desire. His highest desire for every area of your life. It's not that distinct purpose. It's, it, it's what God's will is for your life when it comes to marriage. 
It's what God's will is in your life when it comes to finances. It's what God's will is for your life when it comes to your job and your career. It's what God's will is for your life when it comes to raising kids. It's what God's will is for your life when it comes to being a student or going to college. It's what God's will is for your life when, when you start thinking about what success is or, or what good is or what life is about that you will, you will be filled with the knowledge of God's will, his preferred desire, everything that God's thing, his perspective in every, every area of your life that you will be filled with that knowledge. And if you become filled with the knowledge of God's will, God's preferred will, his preferred desire, his perspective, and you operate in that, you will naturally become strong and powerful and knowledgeable. You will naturally begin to live a life that bears fruit, that gives God glory. You will naturally begin to live a life that is worthy of Jesus Christ. And he says that the only way you'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will is through the wisdom and the understanding that the Holy Spirit gives you. Now, throughout this series, we're going to get deep. I believe that it is going to be powerful. I think that God is going to open up our heart and open up our eyes and begin to change some pretty crazy, amazing things in our life. But I want you to understand the way that he's going to do that is to begin to fill you with the knowledge of God's will, and it's going to be the Holy Spirit that gives you wisdom and understanding and knowledge and insight into your life that will open up your eyes and your mind and begin to fill you. That is when things will begin to change, and that's when you will begin to grow. It's the Holy Spirit that gives the wisdom, the understanding, the knowledge, the insight that ultimately fills us and leads us to live a life worthy, live a life of power, a life of strength, life of confidence in Jesus. So then there's this disconnect. Because if we're, if we're open and we're honest with ourselves, like if, we're, if we really start to analyze our life and analyze our relationships, analyze the way we handle finances, analyze our marriage, analyze our thoughts on different things, analyze the, the way we handle jobs, analyze the way we live our life in all the ways that we do in every day. If we begin to analyze, we will see for many of us, we will see that church has always been a part of our life, that, that, that having a Bible has always been a part of our life and, and doing the church thing and saying we're Christians and trying to do good works. But if we really start to analyze our life, we'll see that a lot of us haven't really grown that much. That we wouldn't really begin to describe our lives as a strong, powerful man and woman of God. That we wouldn't really say that everything that I put my hands to bears fruit for the glory of God. We really wouldn't be able to say that in my marriage, in my, the way I raise my kids, the way I handle my finances, the way I live my life in every way. If we were honest with ourselves, we'll say, you know, I'm not really growing into that. I'm, I, I, I'm being truthful. I'm, I'm opening up my eyes and I'm seeing that, that the way that I do things probably isn't that pleasing to God. And then you get this thing where it's like that for a couple weeks, a couple months, a few years, and all of a sudden half a lifetime goes by and church has been a part of our life, but we have never grown. We've never learned how to walk in power. We've never learned how to live a life worthy of Jesus Christ. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And so then the question is why? Why for the believer who's truly put their faith in Jesus, truly put their trust in God, truly been saved, truly been redeemed, why the growth isn't there, why their faith doesn't expand, why they don't begin to walk in power, why don't they, they learn to live in strength, why don't they go, why, why, why aren't my works bearing fruit, why, why is my life still the way that it is, and, I, and I'm going to tell you something that's very, very, very simple. This is incredibly deep, 
but incredibly practical. It's not complicated, and it's very simple. It's because we are losing the greatest battle every single day to our greatest enemy, and we don't even know we're fighting in a war. See, this same scenario, this situation came up in the city of Corinth. In one of the letters that Paul writes them, he addresses this issue because there was a lot of people who had put their faith in Jesus. There was a lot of people that had been to follow and begin to go and they began to gather together in the name of Jesus, but their lives weren't changing. And see, the difference between a lot of preachers and church leaders today and Paul was Paul wasn't okay with that. Paul wasn't going to hold their hand as they walked themselves down to the pits of hell. Paul wasn't okay with that. Paul wasn't okay with watching their lives fall apart. Paul wasn't okay with watching sin dominate their life. Paul wasn't okay to watching people get divorced after divorce after divorce. Paul wasn't okay with us making harm. Paul wasn't okay, not because he was some judge, not because he was some great, because he loved them, he truly loved them, and he did not want to see them walk in the darkness when God had already shown them the light. He didn't want to see them live like they were dead when they'd been resurrected in the life of Jesus Christ. He didn't want to see them walk in defeat when Jesus Christ had already given them victory. So he stepped in over and over and over again, and he began to teach them this reality and this principle that we're supposed to grow, we're supposed to become powerful, and I'm not okay with this. And so he addresses this issue. And he starts off with this in, in 2 Corinthians verse 10. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, there is some depth here. But when's the last time you guys, you know, went to a good old stronghold? Anybody know what that is? Right? So I'm going to teach us because this is important. Strongholds were massive in this day and age. See, we have missiles and planes out. We don't really need strongholds everywhere. We can just press a button and nuke them, game over right? Strongholds were the way that they controlled areas. Strongholds were the way that they kept order. Strongholds were the way that they, they, kept, they kept the control over whatever re, uh, region that they were, they were taking over their reign. And I, I'm going to walk you through this because it's important that you understand the way a stronghold operates. And so I've got some props that are going to come out. They're living props, all right? They're going to come up here and they're going to help me really fast. We got one, Mr. John Doggett, give him a hand clap. For obvious reasons, out of these three, he's going to be the stronghold, the fortress. <laughs> They're musicians, though, so it's fine. All right? Taylor's going to be the, uh, the, the opposing force, the enemy. Caleb, you're going to be the, the soldier. Now, not in an awkward way, but just get up behind him. Maybe just a little bit this way, you know. Just, yeah, it's awkward. It is. No, yeah, it is. It just is. <laughs> so I'm going to show you. This is what it is. And so when they would come in, pretend this stage is a region. This stage is a place that needs to be controlled. And so they would come in and they would build a stronghold. They would build it. It was very, it was hard to, to penetrate. It was hard. It was, it was very built with the defensive in mind. And, and it had high towers in it. And they would be able to see for a long way off. And they would be able to defend it very easily. It was very difficult to take out a stronghold. But if you wanted to, to go a different direction in that region, or you wanted to come in and take it over, or if you wanted to, to not pay taxes, or if you wanted to break the law, or you wanted to start doing your own thing, whoever you were, whatever movement it was, you had to deal with a stronghold because that's what that was there for to make sure that you couldn't do that. And so if an enemy showed up, they would have to come and destroy the stronghold before they could, they could do what they needed to do or do what they wanted to do in the region. 
But what it was designed for is if an enemy, Taylor's was going to be the enemy, the enemy would, would come in and get close to it. The stronghold would dispense the soldiers inside of it to come over and take care of the enemy. That's the worst acting I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Look like you just, just, oh, were you actually hitting him hard? I'm sorry, man. Maybe after this is over, give him some bench press advice or something, just something. Yeah. So he would come over and he would, like a man, please, he would, he would kill the enemy. Oh. <laughs> Apparently there's strongholds in China. All right, so go back over here. So this, this, is, this is how it would be, that you would have the stronghold. If an enemy come in, an enemy would have to deal with the stronghold. But the stronghold, if the enemy wasn't getting closer, it began to, they begin to see it. They would send out a, a soldier. This is your last chance. If he's still standing, you're, you're fired. That's what's happening. All right? Yeah. They, the enemy comes, be an enemy. Any soldiers come out. You're lucky you know how to play the drums, man. You can mark street fighting off of your credentials. All right, but this is, this is how it operates. That makes sense. That's what a stronghold is. Give them a hand clap real fast, and we're going to show them. You guys can sit down. So if you wanted to come into an area, you had to deal with the stronghold. The stronghold controlled everything. And so what, what Paul is talking about here, he makes it very clear in the next scripture. He says, he describes a stronghold. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So the argument, and I'm going to explain that in just a minute, is the stronghold. And the thoughts that he's going to take captive to obey Christ, those are the soldiers. And a part of every stronghold, there was a tower. Those are the high things lifted up. And in the actual Greek, it doesn't say every lofty opinion raised. It literally just says every high thing lifted up against the knowledge of God. And so what he's saying is, he's saying, this is, you're in a war every single day of our lives. He's, he's speaking to the Corinthian church who has put their faith in Christ, and, and they're, 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 they're going to church, and they're doing the thing, but they're not growing. Uh, the sin is dominating them, and, and, and there, there's, a, there's false teachers starting to come in, and there's just all kinds of crazy stuff. They are not being effective. They're not walking in strength. They're not walking in victory. They're, they're living like they were never raised to life in Jesus Christ. And, and he comes in, and he says, I want you to understand something. He goes, you're in a war. He goes, but the way we fight, it isn't like weapons of the flesh. And if you're not careful when you read that, what you will think of is like swords and, and shields and guns and bombs. But that's not what he's talking about because this whole thing, if you read before and after, he's talking about ideas. He's talking about the battle of the mind. And what he says is when I come in, he goes, I don't come at you with, with, with politics. I don't come at you with pushing an agenda. I don't come at you with pressure and tension and threats. I don't come at you with, with plausible arguments. I don't come at you with, with, with this big, sophisticated level. And, and I don't raise up a group of people to come support me and add pressure to the conversation and, and act. And it's basically the way that American politics operates. That's what he's talking about, weapons of the flesh. I don't come to tear down the attacker. I come with the truth of God that is divinely powerful enough to destroy the strongholds in our lives. He says, I don't need manipulation. I don't need deceit. I don't need pressure. I don't need threats. I don't need politics. I don't need the, the operations and the war of the flesh. I don't need to operate like that. I've got what he describes as spiritual weapons that have divine power. They're of God, and they have the power, the ability to destroy these strongholds. And he says, these strongholds are arguments. And, and when you think about an argument, what you think about is like the conversation that you and your wife or you and your husband had on the way to church today about lunch. I, and this is no lie. I just read this the other day. The number one fight 
in a marriage is about where you go eat. And it said, I don't know how in the world they pulled these numbers, 36% of the time it gets to the point of raising your voice. And at first I was like, that's the stupidest thing I heard. And then I thought about me and Courtney. And I was like, no, it's not. I'm like, babe, we're going to go eat it. Where do you want to go? Oh, you choose, babe. I'm like, all right, you want to go to Japan? No. Okay, well, you want to go to Midtown? No, I don't, no. Oh, well, you pick. No, babe, you pick. Okay, well, we, you want to go to Joey's? It's just, it's so busy on Sunday. Everybody goes there and we just, we won't be able to talk. So no, 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 I don't want to go to Joey's. Okay, well, babe, you just pick. Where do you want to go? No, babe, you pick. Okay, well, you want to go to Showmarts? No, it's just it's too far from the house. I got to get back to the kids and that. All right, babe, will you pick? No, you pick. Pick the restaurant! <laughs> and then I just go eat Taco Bell by myself. All right, but that's not, that's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about an argument. It's not talking about a debate. The word is logismos. And it literally means a conceptual device. Now, you can use this in an argument. You can use this in a debate. All right, but the, it itself is not an argument like what we think of when we think about argument. It's, it's not what we think of. What it really means, it's a, it's a baseline concept. It's a baseline uh, perspective. It's a foundational view of something that you already have in your mind. It's, it, it's your perspective on something specific. So just like this. So every single person in here, every person, no matter who you are, where you come from, how long you've been following Jesus, or even if you do follow Jesus, every single person, you have a baseline concept. You have a baseline perspective of something like finances. You have an idea. You have a perspective. You have an idea of what is good and what is, uh, how to manage finances and what finances look like and, and what you're supposed to do and how much you should spend and all the percentages and what's what. You have a baseline concept, a viewpoint, a perspective of finances. You have a baseline perspective of what you think marriage is and how you think marriage should operate and, 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 and how that's supposed to look like and, and the love and the intimacy and, and, and everything involved. I mean, you have a, a baseline perspective of what you think about marriage and how marriage should be and what marriage should look like. You have a baseline perspective, a, a baseline idea, a, a baseline concept, a foundational view of something like relationships, friendships. We have a baseline view of what we think about sex what we think about intimacy, what we think about raising kids, what we think about the job and the career, what we think about religion, what we think about faith. We have a baseline concept, a perspective of every single major idea in your life. And everybody does. And the way that it works, these, these baseline perspectives, these logismos, these arguments, they're the strongholds. They're in our minds. And so what happens is, is when you're presented with a decision or you're presented with an idea or you're presented with another perspective, what happens is, is that stronghold stands up. It, this, this pretend the stage is your mind and, and, and John, the stronghold, that he's still standing here. And when, when a, new, a new perspective or decision or something comes up, you're, the, what you think about finances, what you think about marriage, what you think about raising kids, what you think about jobs, what you think about all these things, it, it raises up in you and it begins to send out the soldiers or send out the thoughts to deal with this new perspective or to deal with this decision or deal with this. And so then you begin to think about it. All, every single one of your thoughts originates from one of these conceptual devices, from one of these perspectives. Every single thought you've ever had in your life comes out of one of these, these conceptual perspectives that Paul here calls the strongholds. 
And those strongholds produce thoughts that come out and they deal with, okay, so this is what I think about finances and this is what I think about debt. And, and in my mind, it's okay to have a little bit of debt. And so even though I might not be able to afford this car, I'm going to go ahead and buy this car because it fits in my already conceptual device. Does that make sense? And so when you, you get presented with, with, with an issue, an argument, or, or tension inside your marriage, what happens is, is that, that that conceptual device, that perspective that you have, it raises up and it sends out thoughts. And you know what? It's okay. It's normal to just scream at each other. It's normal to just handle marriage. It's normal to just, just, just walk away. It's normal to throw out the idea of divorce. It's okay to do that. I mean, this is just what it is. That's my. And so every single one of your, your, your thoughts come out of this, and eventually your thoughts turn into desires, and your desires give birth to actions, and eventually your actions are what is going to deal with everything you deal with in life. And if it's a sinful action, the wages of that sinful action is going to be death. So all the chaos and the destruction and the mayhem that you go through in this life, all of it originates from an argument, from a logismos, from a baseline concept, from a baseline perspective that's already in your life. Does that make sense? I need you to hear me. Does that make sense? You following me? Because this next part, it matters. And so what happens in our life and I want you to remember what, 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 what Paul said when he said, hey, listen, this is what it is to live a life worthy of Jesus Christ. It's bearing fruit and good works. It's growing in knowledge. It's growing in strength. It's becoming powerful. It's, it's becoming efficient. It's becoming having courage and being able to endure. And if you fall, get back up and keep going and growing in faith. He goes, this is what it is to live worthy of Christ. But he said, this happens because of what? Remember, because we're filled with the knowledge of God's will. And that only comes through the wisdom and the understanding, the insight and the knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives us. And so what happens in our minds every single day for a believer is that through various ways, through the word of God, through preaching, through conversations, through, through prayer, through different things, the Holy Spirit is trying to give you wisdom, trying to give you understanding, trying to give you insight, trying to give you knowledge trying to give you God's perspective on all of these different areas of your life. And what happens is, is when the Holy Spirit begins to give the wisdom and understanding, the knowledge and the insight, that new perspective shows up and now you've got your stronghold that rises up. And it begins to send out thoughts. And he says the, the end of this, this confrontation between that, your baseline perspective of whatever it is, marriage, finances, sex, money, whatever it is, your baseline concept, your perspective, it rises up. It sends out thoughts to deal with this new perspective. In this case, the wisdom and the understanding, the knowledge, God's thoughts, God's ways, God's will, God's perspective of finances, God's perspective of marriage, God's perspective of how to love your wife, how to love your husbands, God's perspective of how to raise kids, God's perspective of what sex is and should be, God's perspective of all these things. And when that God's perspective that the Holy Spirit gives us through wisdom and knowledge and understanding, it enters into our mind and it stands up and our stronghold, our perspective stands up and then there is a there is a comparison that takes place in verse 6 he starts talking about disobedience and obedience and I need you to hear me if you don't hear anything else I need you to hear me disobedience in the Greek it literally is just two words put together the first word means contrary by close comparison and the second word means hearing so a lot of times it gets translated contrary hearing so when you hear something and you disobey you, you, con you, you hear contrary to what it's saying. You do something different. But it's deeper than that. It says contrary by close comparison. So what it means is, is that when you have this perspective that you have of marriage, 
All you men, yeah. You have a perspective of what it is to be a man. You have a perspective of what it is uh, to be a husband, to be a good father. You have a, you have a perspective of what it is and how to treat your wife. You have a perspective in what it is to love her. You have a perspective of, of, of how she should be. You have a perspective of all of these things. But the Holy Spirit's trying to alter you and change you and grow you into a powerful man of God. And so what happens is he's trying to teach you that you're actually not loving her, you're controlling her. You're actually not being there for her, you're screaming at her. You're actually, you think you're trying to encourage her, but you're tearing her down because you're an idiot. Because you think the louder you scream and the, the more power and the more manipulation you offer, the more she'll bend. That, that's, not, that's how you break people, not build people up. And so the Holy Spirit's coming into your life and he's trying to give you this wisdom and give you this understanding and that perspective in you rises up and then there's this comparison between your perspective and, and what you think is right and what you think is good and the new perspective that the Holy Spirit has given you of God. There's a comparison between the two and then when you realize that God's perspective opposes your perspective, now you are faced with the greatest battle of your life every day against your greatest enemy and it's not the devil. And it's not any demon from hell. It's not anybody else you can blame. It is yourself. You are your greatest enemy. And you're fighting your greatest battle every single day as the Holy Spirit's trying to give you wisdom and understanding, trying to teach you God's will, trying to show you what it is to be a real man, trying to show you what it is to be a real husband, trying to show you what it is to actually operate in love, trying to show you what it is. And so you're faced with this decision right here. Women, you're faced with this decision right here. Teenagers, you're faced with this decision right here. Every time the Holy Spirit presents a new perspective to you, your, your perspective rises up against it and there's a comparison and then you have this battle to fight. You have this decision to make. To humble yourself under the power of God and allow the Holy Spirit and the wisdom and the understanding and the truth of God to destroy your strongholds in your life, destroy your perspectives in your life and walk in obedience in this area or out of pride reject it and say in your mind I know more about being a man than God does, I know more about being a woman than God does, I know more about marriage than God does, I know more about finances than God does, I know more about sex than God does, I know more about life than God does, I know more about wisdom than God does, I know more about the way life should be than God does. Every single day, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit is trying to give you wisdom and understanding and knowledge and insight. He's presenting through the Word, through devotions, through messages, through sermons, just through prayer, just through different ways. He's trying to give you these new perspectives, God's thoughts and God's ways, and you are faced with your greatest battle to humble yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to destroy your baseline concepts and your perspective on finances and marriage and live under God's way or to rise up in pride and reject it and keep going your own way. This is exactly how religion begins to take place in your life. This is how you can go to church and hear the truth of God preach week after week after week after week and die the same way you started. This is how you can, you, can, you can wear the Christian t-shirts and have the Christian coffee cups and, and do cool things on Facebook, but when it comes to loving your wife, you have no idea. When it comes to loving your husband, you have no idea. You're taken over uh, by sins and by different things because you don't humble yourself before God when the Holy Spirit's trying to teach you. This is the greatest battle of your life. 
The battle over death has already been won. The battle over hell has already been won. The battle over the devil has already been won. The battle over your sin has already been won. Every battle that needs to be won has already been won. The last one you are fighting is not between you and the devil. It's not between you and your flesh. It's not between you. The last battle you are fighting, listen to me, is between you and God. Between your ways and God's ways between what you think and what God thinks, between your perspective on marriage and God's perspective on marriage, between your perspective on love and sex and intimacy and God's perspective on love, sex, and intimacy, your perspective on finances and God's perspective on finances, your perspective on raising kids and God's perspective on raising kids. These are our battles. All the other battles have already been won. And the Holy Spirit's trying to teach you how to walk in the victory that Jesus Christ died to give you. But it will be pride that will raise you up and reject what the Holy Spirit's trying to teach you. So you don't get filled with the knowledge of God's will. And you don't become a strong and powerful man and woman of God. And you don't bear fruit. You're just busy and religious and you just live life and you die and eternity takes over. But you waste every second you have here to live a life worthy of God. I'm telling you right now, being filled with the knowledge of God, you will grow, no doubt. Rejecting it, and you won't. That's it. And over the course of this series, we're going to get deep, and I believe it's going to be powerful. But I felt this overwhelming leading of the Holy Spirit for us to come to terms with where we are and who we are and what we are going to do in those moments. When the Holy Spirit gives us the wisdom and the understanding and the perspective of God. I challenge you this morning, if you have any desire at all to grow, if you have any desire at all to matter in the kingdom of God, if you have any desire at all to truly learn how to be a husband, to truly learn how to be a wife, to truly learn what marriage is, to truly learn what intimacy is, to truly learn what love, to truly learn how to handle finances, to truly learn these things. If you have any desire at all to truly walk in wisdom and stop being foolish, to truly walk in love and stop living out of hate, to truly be a life and live a life worthy of Jesus Christ, if you have any desire at all, the one thing you are going to have to do is to humble yourself before God. And begin to pray prayers like, God, I really don't know what it is to be a man. But Holy Spirit, if you will teach me, I will do it. I really don't know what it is to be a woman of God. But if you will teach me, I will do it. I really don't know what marriage is supposed to be. But if you teach me, I will do it. If you will lay it out for me, if you will, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom and give me understanding, I will humbly allow you to destroy the strongholds in my life so that I can walk in power, that I can grow, and I can become who you have called me to be but it will take humility like you have never experienced in this life. And so this morning, I challenge you, begin right there. Just like my coach told me, it's okay that you're not okay, but it's not okay that you don't stay that way. It's okay if you're not walking in power, but it's not okay if you stay that way. So this morning, I love high impact moments. I love messages when I'm passionate and I can, yeah, I can do, I love those things, but this is not one of those moments. This is one of those quiet moments where in your heart and in your mind, you need to come to terms with God, come to terms with the Holy Spirit, because the more you reject him, the less he speaks, but the more you listen and obey, the louder he gets. You want to be wise, 
You want to walk in power. You want to grow in strength. You want to stop faking it. You want to be real. You want to walk in the power of God. You're going to have an opportunity to learn how. But let's humble ourselves before God this morning. Prepare ourselves for the demolishment of the strongholds in our lives. If you guys will stop.